Rachel Kim, today's guest, is the CEO and founder of the Femtech Salon, powered by MyComma. She's a convener of events for women and non-binary entrepreneurs who is launching a pre-accelerator to help entrepreneurs like her grow and raise capital. She'll share insights about her work and her superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show, where we empower you. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I'm just thrilled to connect with you. Thanks for having me, Devin. Well, uh, you're you're doing some amazing things with the Femtech Salon, and you know, part of me just wants to say this is about dang time uh, for someone to be doing something. And so, I I can see why it's building such a grassroots enthusiasm so quickly. But uh, why don't you tell us about Femtech Femtech Salon and how my comma fits into that? So the Femtech Salon is a pre-accelerator and events community. We are set on amplifying Femtech founders and creating ecosystems so they can thrive. It really addresses the question of if this is a $1 trillion industry, you know, in 2027, so there's a lot of money that goes into it. Why is it so hard to fund and support these um, startup founders. And my answer is, you know, we're working off of old systems that weren't, that didn't include them, considered them, or were made for them. And um, the Femtech Salon really started through the events series is to catalyze, you know, everybody from funders, government, media, um, university, consumers around them, especially in a post way world, because, you know, everybody needs to understand what's happening regionally now. Um, and my comma fits in because of the fact that it was actually our starting point during COVID as a subscription platform where we wanted to vote with our dollar and amplify Femtech founders that way. So that started this all. Um, and as we focus and, um, and really double down on Femtech Salon, we do have a subscription box that comes out of that. And so that's how we folded that back in. But um, my comma was really the precursor and sort of the impetus to the Femtech Salon. What what kinds of things go in the box? Uh, so you get, right now we've moved to the quarterly, so three months of period care, if it's tampons or pads, lining, um, you tell us how you use it. We don't do reusables. Um, those typically are the next step evolution, but you request a lot of education and actually trial and error, and they're not the cheapest. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then in addition to that, you get um, self-care items like their new products that are actually cleansing your V area. You have new products that are um, actually addressing, I would say, minerals and vitamins that you need at different parts of your cycle. Um, if you have a, you know, a vagina, whether you identify as female or not. So there's a lot of different products coming out there, but they're typically expensive. And so with the subscription platform, it makes it a little bit easier. Um, and also the fact that, you know, you get it once every three months, right. That you don't have to go rush out to the store. So yeah. um, from the brand perspective, it really helps them because it, it gets them to go to market, right. There's a little bit of more customer reach. They can get some feedback as well. So as in any proper ecosystem, everybody wins and everybody works together. And that's a little bit about the subscription platform. Yeah. I love the branding. Um, it took me a minute to make the connection between a period and my comma, but I think it's brilliant. <laughs> so congratulations on that. Yeah, um, thank you. 
but you know, one of the things that we've seen in recent years, I, I did a piece for Forbes about a decade ago. It was the first time I'd really become aware of the issue. And I wrote about the fact that uh, a, only about one or 2% of venture capital goes to women. And the data really hasn't changed over the last decade. It, it, it's still pretty abysmal in terms of women's share. So it's exciting to see what you're doing. As you bring people together, uh, this really seems to me to portend the beginning of a movement that changes this dynamic in a meaningful way. What do you think? I would say uh, it definitely has the potential. Um, you know, it's always it's always great to see sort of the bigger picture. And I, I've always done that, but I think what we're really focused on is with every event that we do with every community that we catalyze is focusing on intimate, intentional and immersive experiences. Um, you know, the difference for a femtech founder, because they typically are carers, uh, they are financially unable to spend a lot of money to be in conferences. Um, you know, our femtech salons are three to four hours and they get about, they get anywhere from 10 to 16 new contacts that helps them either through funding or service providers, or maybe to advise, or maybe they found someone to actually, you know, onboard their team. And that's much more time efficient, capital efficient. And they actually are bought into their stories as a human being and not about the, necessarily about the business. And that's the difference um, for us. And how we structure our interactions. We've also done collaborations with um, our our pending one is with Fearless Fund, but uh, you know we've done previous ones with for LA Tech Week and South by Southwest. And um, how do we then typically for us? How do we combine different communities together that actually have similar problems or leverage similar solutions to to drive success? And so our last one at LA Tech Week was. Um, bringing Hollywood, which is a really old industry in LA, bringing Femtech together, Femtech together, because it's one of the, I would say, rising industries. Um, healthcare is very huge in LA, but particularly for women healthcare and non-binary healthcare and, and CPGs or consumer products is really big. And then bringing together also the LGBTQA community of how do they use content and technology to drive, you know, to drive their communities forward, create that and also enable success. And so um, what's been really amazing is, yes, we, there is this bigger picture, but it's really one person at a time, one conversation at a time, one community at a time coming together. Because once you have people who are bought in, it sort of feeds itself. And that's what an ecosystem does, right? It doesn't just support one person. Yes, we've catalyzed it around Femtech founders, but everybody wins. So other founders, find other funders or other LPs to fund their VCs, which is necessary right now. A lot of the VCs may be ghost VCs or they're struggling to get the funding in um, if they didn't get it in before last year or early this year. Um, you know, other service providers find clients like government, they provide projects and support and potentially, you know, we're in discussions about changing policy around this space. So it's exciting. It has the potential to be, I would say, a movement, big movement. And I think there are a lot of other organizations also talking about this. So Fem Health Insights, they just did a conference today, um, how taking a look at clinical trials, like how do you change that landscape? How do you look at, um, you know, uh, addressing the physiological and hormonal differences of anyone 
who is cisgendered female to be included in trials and not excluded? How do you lower the barriers for people to be in clinical trials who are typically underrepresented because they don't have transportation? So um, I would say, uh, in their words, it's the renaissance. And so there's this one renaissance coming across in multiple ways. And I think the art of it is starting to pull everybody together to, to go in the, the same direction so that I would say no effort is lost and it's all meaningful. Yeah. And one of the things that really stuck out to me as I was looking at what you're doing is that the uh, femtech marketplace uh, is a trillion dollar marketplace. The, you know, there are a thousand opportunities for unicorns in this place, right? This is a big, big economic opportunity, right? And yes. And actually, it's interestingly enough, like Hims and Hers is a really good example of it. During, you know, they started right before COVID. You know, they I, they spat IPO real quickly. Um, but the stuff that they address does cover um, femtech, you know, and when we talk about femtech, it's literally any kind of um condition, symptom, disease, a situation that disproportionately affects a woman and non-binary individuals in the healthcare space. So that's everything from digital health all the way to like consumer products, health and wellness and beauty, right? It's a very broad stroke. Um, it's definitely evolved beyond, I would say, the term that Edith Tin coined in 2016. So that's, you know, what, nine years ago? No, seven years ago, seven years ago, sorry, my math. Um, but it's a rapidly evolving white space of which there's so much money that's in it, um, but there's you know the necessary data that needs to be collected in order to confirm that we aren't just throwing numbers because historically speaking, um, you know, in the book Invisible Woman, we've had to use data to dispel a lot of myth because systems weren't designed for us. Um, so yeah. it's exciting, um, but uh, yeah, the. I would say even globally, we're having conversations with the UK and Dutch and German startups as well, who um, want to go both ways, right? They want to launch in the US. They also, and then you have um, US companies also wanting to launch in these hot areas like New Zealand as well, where it's understood women's health is, and non-binary health is of the moment and there is a need and people are actually starting to talk about it. One of the things you talked about is this idea that you're creating a pre-accelerator. Tell us a little bit about what that entails and what you hope uh, an entrant company would look like, what they would get, and what they would look look like sort of as they leave, as they graduate from the pre-accelerator. So um, my being in this space for over three years, what I've really realized is um, a majority of the VCs who say that they will fund pre-seed companies, if you look at the metrics they require, still require seed metrics, fund, you know, in terms of the, um, the monthly recurring revenue, the annual recurring revenue is two plus million. And you're just like, okay, that's great. That means you're betting on people who figured out how to be successful. That's cool. But when you historically excluded people from the space and they don't come with the tribal knowledge, right? A lot of the times where if you come from a university, if you Stanford is really well known for this, where the alumni, they also fund each other, right? These systems of enablement that majority of these founders don't come from or rarely come from. How do you enable that? And um, my 
my hypothesis is you provide them at least the basic platform or the basic foundation of developing a business from anywhere from ideation. So just having an idea and being able to work that through to something tangible and we call it MVP. So your minimal viable product, it could be an app. Maybe it's like a WhatsApp chain. It could be something as basic as that to test your hypothesis on, you know, why, you know, the market needs this, you know, what is the problem you're solving to people who are, I would say, maybe they have their MVP out, but they're going for pre-seed funding. So they need anywhere from a half a million to a million, maybe a million and a half, depending if they're doing 18 to 24 month runway. And for them, they have a rough idea of their market, target market. They still need to test the different channels of how to go to market, right? Um, and actually finalize that to be able to then really go into growth, uh, growth phase and speed, speed, uh, seed, seed stage funding, where you know at seed stage you're doing at least two million MMR, um, or not MMR, sorry, annually um, plus. Um, your valuation is definitely a, above the 5 million mark. And for you, you know exactly which channels work, how to get there. You know the exact unit cost of you going into these different spaces. And you just need capital to, to scale that up so that you are able to do that in mass. So I have always historically been the type of person who loves to trailblaze ideas. I worked for Accenture for 10 years, did worked in the strategy space. That's where I was, you know, basically just parachuted in anywhere from like two week engagements to typically three months um, on some key clients. So it's been a couple of years, but that's the stuff I love is how do you make something out of nothing and spin it up to a point where it can stand alone and you let someone else operate it. And this is what I want to do with the pre-accelerators at that stage, but also it's something that I've done historically for over a decade. That's fantastic. Uh, this is exciting stuff. So uh, you've accomplished some really impressive things. And of course, creating Femtech Salon is is huge. As you think about uh, your accomplishments, what do you see as your superpower? I think my superpower, I truly believe, is being an advocate and driving equity in all forms. Um, I think a lot of that comes from my experiences. So you see me, you hear me. I have hit the everything from age of sexist to uh, racial discrimination in my lifetime. Um, so, and always being the underdog and I love being the underdog. You always get underestimated. And so for me to um, come from that uh, position through different experiences in my life and also recently understanding I am neurodivergent. That is a recent, you know, in the last six months of understanding of which now it makes my childhood and my life make sense. But then my question is to myself, like, okay, how do I take care of myself? How do I advocate myself? So, you know, I'm constantly going through these evolutions, but I think that's also why I'm so readily eager to advocate for others and advocate for their dreams because of the fact that I had none, you know, I had very little. My parents were very good in providing me education, but everything else was me, right? They said, if there's anything, you know, immigrant parents, you try not to give them any kind of mental load, you know, um, you're living paycheck to paycheck and they're developing a life for you because they had to start from scratch. And I really think that's sort of the empathy I bring into when people have their dreams and they have an idea, 
love ideating. Like I love a whiteboard. Um, but also the fact that if at least I can give one encouraging thought or session or any kind of conversation um, to motivate them to actually take it one step further just to see, just to try, right? Because that was nev never anything that I was given, right? The ability to try. A lot of it is you, you do it because you know you can do it or you don't do it at all, right? That that risk aversion. And I think naturally, actually, I'm more risk loving. <laughs> so I've, I would say in my personal evolution and understanding that and seeing the fact that that's a natural part of my fabric. Um, I also, I guess, start unlocking that in other people just to give themselves the room to try. Yeah. Uh, that's all great stuff. I want to just focus perhaps a little bit on your advocacy work as a, as that being a superpower can you think of a time when you have used that that passion to fight for equity, that advocacy for uh, something where you accomplish something and uh, that you like to brag about? Bragging is always hard. <laughs> <Let's> just... <laughs> That's true. That's true. Maybe you don't like to brag about it, but you wish you could. <laughs> Bragging is very hard. That is something, um, you know, advocating for others, for me, 100%, I will do that and shout out to the moon and which is why Femtech Salon is such a great thing for me because I love showcasing other people who are doing amazing work. When I think about things that I have done and advocate for um, in my previous lifetime that I, I would say, honestly, uh, people development. So if I think during COVID, I had 16 people on my team precursor to all of this in my first startup called Project Antaboo. Um, we were going to build, you know, little travel packets of peer care products. So something I would say of the, uh, the version of a subscription, but something that you can get in a plane, in a hotel, bus, you know, last mile um, logistic, because typically that's the barrier between a person and them enjoying their vacation. Really <laughs> yeah, right. If something I, happens, a little off schedule, right? Or yeah, just forget. Well, or you can, I, you know, I backpacked around for the world, around the world for a year. And even though I have prepared stuff, maybe it just wasn't with me. It was in, you know, it was in the hold, and I, I don't have it in my my purse. And so, um, but during the time that I was really proud of was the fact that in advocacy work is I advocated for them to get tech jobs. So I made the decision as a leader to take care of them because I knew, come, you know, I went into um, the market in 2008, so subprime mortgage crisis time. So it made me think of that. And it made me think of as much as I would love to continue the startup, I need to take care of my people. And so I advocated for them by getting them to get their resumes together, getting them to, you know, actually prepping them for interviews. And they all settled in big tech jobs, advocating for their contracts even. So negotiating the contract with them. You know, the first time I had to negotiate my contract was when I was 24 and it was to move to London and I didn't have anybody. So I had to do, I was really good at research though. Not a lot of people will feel like they can do that. But um, for me, what COVID proved to me is the fact that I wasn't out for the money. You know, I started this with a mission and I stayed true to myself as a leader that I had always wanted to be and actually am. And 
the advocacy work about taking care of my people, I would say, well, is one of the things that has always carried me through COVID. And if anything, is one, one of the proudest things I've ever done in my life. Oh, that's great. Fantastic example. Now, one last thought question I have for you. As you think about advocacy, obviously, as a leader throughout your career, you've had opportunities to teach and coach. And I imagine that there have been times when you've tried to help people learn to be better advocates, whether that's for themselves or for others. How would you coach someone now uh, in our audience to be a better advocate? I think you only become a better advocate for others when you know yourself. So I had to go through my own journey of understanding what my superpowers are to see how I can apply it in the way. And that's the way I can advocate. How other people can advocate may look differently. It, um, when I think about advocacy, it's not just driving big initiatives or writing thought, process, you know, thought leadership pieces you know, in Alpha um, or being showcased in Forbes. I think that's all the glitz and glam, but honestly, true advocacies are having conversations. I think it's being curious. Um, and I think first and foremost, you should be having conversations with yourself and being curious about yourself to see who you really are right now and where you want to go. Um, because if you try to do advocacy, that is not, I would say, natural to you or something that is within your wheelhouse of superpowers, you're going to constantly struggle and you're going to feel defeated. And I don't promote that at all. I'm very much of figure yourself out. You know, I am better at podcasts than I am, on t you know, wanting to do TV or wanting to be a um, person or written pieces or things that I really love to do. And so those are, I would say, the pathways I found to find my voice and advocacy but, um, you know, going to be back to people who want to be advocates, I think first and foremost, just really realize who you are and how you want to go about it. And then just try one new thing. You know, again, I think we always try to frame things and especially the way I was raised, like this is permanent. This is forever. This, that's, you know, you going to an Ivy League or top 10 is going to set up your the rest of your life. And I think we're beyond that now in COVID, right? Um, to the point where I think you owe it, just saying that you owe it to yourself just to try and see and see if you enjoy it. Um, I, you know, for me, it's when it's advocacy work and the way that you love, it's just so much easier and it's amplified so much more easily. Um, but it did take me about three years to get to this point. And so uh, that's what I would tell anybody about advocacy. It's really understanding yourself first and finding what is natural to your voice and how you want to present that and then just test it. Yeah, that's great. Those, you know, that, that, that really is a perfect summary, right? Know yourself, uh, find your voice and test it. Uh, just really great advice. Rachel, as we wrap up here, would you take just a minute and tell people how they can learn more about Femtech Salon, maybe register for an event or sign up for the MyComma subscription uh, make sure people know how they can, you know, participate. A and also people are going to want to connect with you. So if there's a way on social media or otherwise that people can connect with you, please let them know. Yeah, so uh, we have the Femtech Salon website. We launched that a couple of months ago um, because we've been rapidly agreeing to events as well. <laughs> 
we need to update that, but you can catch us at femtechsalon.com. Um, we have an Instagram, it's uh, at mycomma.life. So it's under the parent company. Um, and that's where you can reach me. Also on LinkedIn, our Rachel Kim, R-A-C-H-A-E-L-K-I-M. It'll say femtech, uh, femtech ecosphere builder because yes, I'm ecosystem building, but my hope and my vision is for this to go global and for people to have communities, to have safe spaces, just to understand um, the shifts and the changes and the impacts of femtech. Um, so I would say those are the key things. We also do have a newsletter. So if you go to um, mycomma.life um, on our website, you can actually subscribe to our newsletter, which is what I where I write my thought pieces monthly and also showcase startups. And you can find our events where you can either meet me or meet some other people as well. Fantastic. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. We really appreciate it. And we we want to wish you every success in the great work that you're doing. My gosh, the opportunity you have for impact is just enormous, infinite. And we want to see you succeed to help others succeed. Thank you so much, Devin, for giving me the time and space to even showcase my story. And um, I love the work that you do. I love the fact that we talk about superpowers because I truly believe that everybody has one and they just need to find it. Thank you. Uh, I love your message. Thank you very much. Now, let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now keep using your superpowers for good. Together we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.